What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Season 4, Episode 2 of Process Potables. This episode is titled, Get Furked. I'm here with Steve. I am Dan, your host. Make sure to follow us on all social media at Process Potables. We are part of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow that at HoopsPodNet. We're sponsored by Vigit. Use code PPH. And sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Use promo code TBPN. Steve, an exciting opening game for the Sixers. They beat the Pelicans, albeit without Zion Williamson, 117 to 97. Before we get into it, give everybody your you know quick thoughts on the game as a whole before I take over the entire podcast talking about Furkan Korkmaz. <laughs> well, it was Furkan fantastic, all right. Uh, see what you did there. Yeah, I see, see, see what I did there. Yeah, so... Uh no dude it was it was exciting. I I think like a lot of other people thought this was going to be a really close game. I just anticipated both teams being sloppy given that you know it's the first game of the year. There seems to be not much of a preseason anymore and then you know missing some uh arguably notable people both teams. So uh to really pull away like that in the fourth quarter was really awesome especially there were times during the game I Felt a little at you know unease because I just thought we we're letting things start to get out of control, slip away. But luckily that didn't happen, and we start to year off one and zero. Yeah, if you were looking at this, uh, the spread on this before the game, you know, at a place like DraftKings Sportsbook, use promo code TBPN. See what I did there. Ooh. This game was sitting around two and a half, three points for the Sixers being favorites in New Orleans, obviously due to the Zion injury. But this was expected to be a close one. And it was. We were on the seesaw for a little bit. We saw New Orleans get small leads here and there. The Sixers looked pretty strong early. And then you saw the, you know, what's what's a good word? The clunkiness of the non-starting lineups, whether it was an all-bench lineup, whether you brought certain guys in, you saw. I think I don't think any of us were really expecting Furkan to be running as the backup point guard, no. uh, which is you know, what they're stuck with right now with Shake Milton unavailable with the Ben Simmons situation, which we will talk about later, but want to stick to the game for now. couple things I want to talk about the Furcon thing, but the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was Embiid and his knees because that's the thing that I, I was taking away from the first half of the game before I kind of got more involved in what was actually happening because obviously this has been the story of his whole career and I was hearing a lot of good things after, you know, the scare in the playoffs last year where we weren't sure. He he basically opted out of having any kind of surgery or anything and said he was going to manage it. People were saying, as we've heard several times over the course of his career, that he was coming into camp, you know, down weight, that he was coming in in the best shape of his career. And for all the preseason and practice videos and everything, I thought he did look pretty good. And early in this one, we already saw some moments of him taking awkward falls, of him grabbing at the knee a little bit, seeing it getting worked on the bench. And listen, I'm not surprised. Even if you were to tell me he's okay, I know those things are just going to happen as routine maintenance. But do you think that this is something we are? I mean, I hate to have to talk about this the first game of the season, but yeah, you know, is this something we're going to have to worry about all season? Or do you think that this is more so just the norm? and that he'll be able to manage it and, for the most part, be available and play through it, maybe just taking a game here and there to rest or, 
you know, tonight, luckily, they were able to get out with a 20-point win, and he only played 26 minutes. Furkan saved him from re-entering yeah. the game, which we saw a few times last year, and even for the most part in, in his stint as a, as a the Sixers star, where there have been games where they have struggled to keep a lead to the point where you didn't want the starters to have to come back in, and they did. It's always nice to get these ones where they actually do the job of holding on to the lead. In this case, the bench really got them the big lead because of that 22 to four run that, that Corkmaz essentially did by himself for the most part. Yeah. So I think it's definitely something to be concerned about one. My, uh, the, the one kiss of death almost is that anytime I hear reports like, Oh, he's in the best shape of his life. I just, I hate hearing that because <laughs> that just, it's just whatever happens afterwards is not reflective of an athlete. Who's in the best shape of his life. I just, I, I, I hate hearing that. Um, there are the concerns about his knee. I know some people were saying last year, right when the postseason ended, he should have gotten surgery. But, uh, you know, if you do enough reading and research or talking to people who know what they're actually talking about. Not us. Yeah, not us. Not but, us. Uh, quasi-medical professional, maybe. Surgery is not always the answer. But my biggest concern with it all is I think because, you know, Joe well, listen, the city loves him, and he just taking over this team, being a leader, that's what he does best. I feel that with him being the only superstar that's playing right now for the Sixers is that he just may try to be doing too much, maybe overcompensating a bit. Didn't really see that tonight as far as him making clumsy plays or anything that were risky or could have you know led to – an injury, but I just have a feel maybe putting too much weight on his shoulders, uh, you know, maybe even literally and uh, figuratively speaking, I, I, I think, you know, that's a cause for concern that, you know, whether it's chasing a ball out of bounds or attacking the rim even too quick or when it's crowded down low in the post. I mean, those, those little things can add up into potential injuries. So, I, I think, you know, it's it's more – I don't think that the odds of it happening are different than in the past, but it's just going to feel way more because there's more pressure on him to perform at his best every single night. The margin of error is just less. Yeah, I think that's another reason it's so scary. I think it's a great point by you is that part of the conversation around whether he can be, like, the number one option on a title-contending team – is less about his talent and more about his availability, his endurance, and everything like that. And that's, I think, what bothers me is it's not so much that I looked at the way he played tonight, the way he reacted to some weird falls. And granted, it was, there was only one really bad fall, I think. Yeah. Um, he had that one play where he like saved the ball from out of bounds, and I thought he was going to go into the crowd, but it looked like he managed to avoid doing anything too weird to himself. In that case, we've seen him jump into the crowd a few too many times already in his career. So, again, something we're just unfortunately always stuck bracing for. But it's it's less of a talent thing for him and more of a can he get to the end of the race and have enough in the tank to do it. And you're right, especially as we deal with this Ben Simmons thing, and he obviously has a little less help around him until he either rejoins the team or they get an asset or two for him that he's really going to be asked to do a lot. Fortunately, again, this is a game where 
He really didn't get asked to do too much. It didn't seem like he got overly worked. So this should be a a good, easy first game for him and have him ready to go at home Friday night against Brooklyn. When we talk about the help that he had, we have to talk about the help that he didn't have, which is Danny Green, who in 19 minutes had zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, three fouls. He was a plus 11. He took one shot. It was a three that he missed. Listen, guys have nights. He's a role player. He's not a star at all or anything. I'm glad they re-signed him. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to overreact to one game. But he does have these games where he just disappears. And I, I don't really care if you don't put up a ton of counting stats, but I just want you to look involved in the offense. I want you to... With Embiid, we were really excited to look at him in a lineup with four guys that would shoot, and Danny didn't shoot at all, and it didn't seem like he could you know, get an open look or, or have anything run or drawn up for him or, or anything. And then you pile onto that with Tyrese Maxey early on seeming very scared to shoot the three, yeah. which is not something I really expected from him. And again, one game, and he, he did kind of ease into it. But with Danny Green, I think my question to you would be, because I had this conversation during the game on Twitter with a few people, and obviously I'm going to go to bat for my guy, Furcon. And last year I was already (laughs) saying, even when Danny Green was playing pretty well, that I thought it made sense to have a guy like Furcon start because I thought Danny Green could be valuable to a second unit. He could have been a veteran presence, you know, stabilize it a little bit. Obviously right now, if Furcon's your backup point guard, you can't really do that with him because Danny can't do that. So, honestly, it's at the point where Furkan is too valuable to the bench to start for Danny Green. But do you think at some point this season that maybe even if it's not Furkan, maybe like it makes sense for them to put Matisse in the starting lineup so that he's not offensively hindering your bench lineup and, and Danny Green is just more of a, you know, doesn't start the game, but maybe we've talked about this situation last year with a few different guys at points. You know, maybe he's in like your closing starting lineup, but he's not in your opening one. You know, that that lineup you go to in the final four minutes in a close game, maybe he's out there for that because he can play both ends of the court and he's a veteran. You know he can hit a clutch shot. You know he can defend, but maybe you, you don't put him out there to start and you let Thibel get some run with, you know, guys that can do the scoring so that that's not on his shoulders, but he can be a defensive menace to, you know, a guy like a Bradley Beal who they, they struggle defending or, you know, guys of that nature. Do you, do you think that could be in play this season? Maybe. I'm not sure. The jury's going to be out because Danny Green is the player on the Sixers who has the most to lose with no Ben Simmons in the lineup because Ben Danny Green isn't a guy who's going to create his own shot. When Danny Green has his typical great offensive games, it's because, you know, he – scored 18 points because he's shooting, you know, six from nine from three. And they're all wide open shots because of the offense generated by Ben Simmons. That's a great point. That's really. Yeah. yeah, And so now obviously when Ben gets traded, as long as we get a, depending on who we get back, as far as a point guard who can generate that type of offense, if that's going to be someone who plays on a second unit on the second unit, then it does make sense to do that because for Danny Green to 
maximize his uh, offensive output, you need someone that can generate those open looks for right. him. Um, but if that's someone, you know, a superstar like like a Dame Lillard, who let's just that's not happening, right? But hype someone him or of his caliber who becomes a new starting point guard, then it would make sense to keep Danny Green in the starting lineup. So I would say that's kind of like to be determined. I'm not sure if that'll matter, but I also to kind of answer your question too. I mean, I think having him at to close out a game, you know, a close game, especially a playoff game. Absolutely. And, you know, having, you know, maybe Matisse start in his spot, you know, is not a bad idea. Yeah, the the Ben Simmons thing is a really great point because it's actually interesting. I saw a few people talking because I believe the Sixers went 13 of 25 from three tonight, I think I saw. So there were some people who were, you know, taunting Ben's uh, 13. Yeah, 13 for 25 that we're using that to kind of taunt Ben Simmons. And listen, I'm here for, I'm not defending Ben Simmons nope. here at all. Nope, not going to happen on this fucking podcast. Hell no. If you're waiting for us to get to it, turn it off. I don't care. And I say that knowing that the ad reads still to come and that you're not going <laughs> to get to it. Whatever, not coming. But you make a great point that the one guy on the team that, that Ben was generating the offense for was really Danny Green. So it's a really good point by you. Tyrese Maxey, who I think played, you know, played his way into this game and is probably going to do that, you know, a lot to start the season as he figures out his role and, you know, takes on a lot more than was probably expected of him even going, even with the upside you saw in his first year going into his second year. Didn't really want to put this kind of responsibility on his shoulders just yet. He played his way into this game, but he's not the type of player that's going to make Danny Green the best version of himself. Ben Simmons was that yeah. for the for the few things he did well for this team. Uh, ultimately, that was one of them. So really good point by you. As far as Maxie passing up the threes early, obviously it looked like he played his way into it. He did end up going two for three from three. I don't think either of us were concerned about you know whether he could shoot and we weren't opposed to him doing so, but I was getting frustrated when he was passing up good looks early. Do you think that's just, you know, an opening night thing, a getting used to playing with these guys thing and he'll get into it, or do you, is that something we may potentially have to worry about as well? I think it is something to keep an eye on that we could potentially worry about because coming, I, I mean, we're no college you know, basketball experts, but we even knew when we drafted him, he's a guy who's slashing to the basket can create a shot to, for a you know, nice mid-range jumper too, or that beautiful, beautiful floater that he can put into the basket. Yep. Uh, you know the outs. You know, three-point game isn't something that was part of his arsenal. I mean, he has the ability to. Um, I think maybe it's more of an issue of just you know having uh, confidence in himself to do it, and maybe he's just a type of you know we've seen this before. Guys where you know they kind of have to play their way through their mistakes, or you know after playing for a while, just developing the confidence, then they can, you know, make a, take those types of threes. Whereas I also, you know, maybe part of it too, is we see someone like Isaiah Joe, just absolutely, you know, tear it up in preseason. He's a guy who he can create his own shot. He can go to the basket. He can catch and shoot threes, but he can also, you know, get, get separation and take a three himself too. So, um, you know, he's a completely different player, but I just think, you know, a, a guy like Tyre, Tyrese Maxey, I, I think the ability is there. It's just, I don't know, if it's either a, a thing of confidence or just, you know, I don't know, <laughs> just that maybe. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. You're right. 
coming out of college. He's not known for shooting threes. It, it's something it seemed like he kind of worked on throughout last season in the offseason. And again, like I'm not expecting him. I don't even expect him, nor do I care if he shoots even league average. But I just want him to take those looks within the offense. I think he'll get there. I know his game is slashing. You put it beautifully. But teams know that too. So you've got to kind of force them out of that at points. And there were a lot of times, what, like this this was always the problem with Ben or even with some other guys. You know, we had the problem with Fultz and stuff. This team has a problem with clogging the paint and they don't have a yeah. ton of movement on offense. So the problem is if they get you that look on the out, they're kind of built to do that. And if you pass that up and think you're going to drive and get something else, there's usually like... You're not isolated over there. You don't have a clear path. It's not going to be this easy basket that you may think in other offenses or other ways because there's probably going to be somebody you know, down on the block in your path who has a defender with them as well and is also most likely going to be a big, which is going to be a problem for Tyrese Maxey. Granted, he's a good finisher through contact and can take them on, but it's still not the best situation. So I just want to see him take the shot more. But first game of the season, whatever. At home, maybe we'll feel more comfortable on Friday, and the fact that he went two two for three tonight, hopefully, you know, boosts his confidence a little bit. All right, I I can't go any longer without talking about Fred. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, I think Tyrese Maxey took those threes late in the game because he felt the fire yeah. that Furkan was just you know shooting off. Furkan Korkmaz, I mean, just how you drew it up, him and Joel Embiid leading the team in points with twenty two a piece Ferk on seven for 11 from the field, four for four from three, four for four from the line. That has to be the first time in his <laughs> Dude, career yeah. that he took more than one free throw and shot a hundred percent from the line yeah. in the game. Guaranteed in 20 minutes, he had 22 points. He also had five assists. Again, he was running that backup point guard position. And for a guy who's really a small forward to me to do that and have five assists and only one turnover is pretty good. Grant, it, it wasn't the cleanest. It wasn't the most, you know, natural fit of it all. But, again, like, he's being – it's not like anybody wanted him to be in this situation. He's forced into this situation because of what's going on with this team, and I think you got to give him a ton of credit for doing so. And then, again, putting on the absolute smoke show in the fourth quarter that not only really locked this game up for them, but let Joel Embiid rest, which is huge for this team – the only guy who played more than 28 minutes in this game is Tyrese Maxey with 34, which yeah. whatever, dude, he, he's a freak, and he's young, and he can go. So I'm not worried about that. Uh, yeah, Tyrese Maxey definitely didn't look like he got tired at any point during the game, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, but so uh, there was a 22-4 to run in the fourth quarter that was that was basically all Furkan Korkmaz. And then, honestly, the highlight of the game for me was he didn't even make the shot. But Matisse gets, like, the steal <laughs> and throws this, like, dunk contest pass to Ferk at the other arc, at the other corner of the arc. And I'm just waiting for Ferk on Korkmaz to end somebody's life. <laughs> he ends up not finishing the dunk and goes to the line. But, like, I I might have dropped dead. Yeah. I might have dropped dead. Uh, a lot of people on Twitter were, were hitting me up and were, were very, very nice about you know, giving me uh, my proper due for always being a Furcon guy. And uh, if Ben's listening to this, fuck you. Uh, Furcon's great. And the last thing I'll say about this whole thing is that you, you brought up Isaiah Joe. And listen, I was very impressed with Isaiah Joe in the preseason. I thought he looked very good. Doc Rivers has had good things to say about him, says he's going to get run, says he's going to be a contributor on this team. 
I know it's only the opening night. 13 minutes, so 0 for 3 from the field, 0 for 2 from 3. Doesn't do anything. He's a minus 7 in a game that they win by 20. Listen, it's not a knock on him, but I think that most people's inclination, if they were a fan of his, was saying, well, I think he should play over Furkan. Mm, I'm sorry. No. It's, that's just not a real thing at all. Nah. Furkan is, what, four or five years into the league now? And last year was really the first year that he got consistent run and had somewhat of a defined role, and we saw how good that was for him. Like, he's so far ahead in his career than Isaiah Joe's at this point. Again, it's not a knock on Isaiah Joe. No. May turn out to be a great player. That's fine. I'm rooting for him. But this season, there will never be a point that Isaiah Joe should play more minutes than Furkan Korkmaz or have his spot or anything like that. There's just no way that it's the case. If you think that at some point, you know, barring any roster change, that Isaiah Joe might be, you know, a better fit as the primary ball handler for the second unit. Maybe. I don't honestly know enough about him to know if he's capable of that. But one, I think if he was, he'd already be doing it because Furkan definitely shouldn't be the best option. But look at what they have and who's the guy doing it. It, it's Ferk, and I yeah. I, th- I think that that's got to be – there has to be a reason for that. And yeah. again, five assists to one turnover leads me to believe that he's doing a pretty decent job of it. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm overreacting because it's one game, but, I mean, I, I Isaiah Joe is not a point guard. He was it, – it's weird because with tonight's game, like, I, it's hard to say, like, it almost felt like tonight's game was a point guard by committee. No one person was really running the, you know, the the offense, you know, throughout the majority of duration. It just kind of seemed like everyone took turns of just distributing the ball, which, which is fine, and that's all you can really do when you don't have a true point guard. But I think Isaiah Joe, with his skill set and what we saw in the preseason, that's going to come with someone else running the offense. And I think when you have him and Ferk and Matisse – all playing at the same time, naturally he's going to be the guy bringing the ball up the court and, you know, starting to run it uh, full court offense. I just think that's, that's not going to really bode well for him. But I mean, even let's say someone like shake Milton comes back and, you know, we, I, I think him running point isn't, you know, a good idea anymore, but if that happens and Isaiah Joe's in the game, you know, maybe, Maybe he's just more comfortable in the shooting guard role, and I already forgot about Shake Milton. Yeah, which is fine. I I don't think we. I, I it's okay that you. Did. I mean, we, he, we probably he, should. He's still probably the best case for a, a backup point guard. He's got it. Like I still think that it's probably better if it's him initiating things than Ferk and Ferk can focus on scoring. But right, uh, I don't know. There, there there's yeah. definitely a, a, an an opportunity uh, or a you know a universe. Uh, where Furkan is actually the better backup point guard as well, because I I yeah. just I just don't know about Shake Milton at this point. It's he's so hot and cold. Which, granted, uh, you could say about Furk, but um, I I yeah. I, <laughs> I think if there's one guy on this team who's more inconsistent, you know, than Furk at, at such far extremes of each other, it's probably Shake Milton. Oh, absolutely, yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so any anything else on this game? The the only other thing uh, I had was just that I'm very surprised 
uh, based on the history that Valanciunas didn't give Embiid more trouble. Valanciunas went three of nineteen. Yeah, I wonder if he's just cooked now, man. Like he's. I, mean, just, I don't know about that, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's just, really bad game for him. Yeah, maybe that's some bad beignets. And I also like, obviously, they were daring him to shoot the three. He went one for three. Um, I thought he took more than that. I'm surprised. Yeah, it definitely felt like more than but three. Watching the way they played without Zion and knowing how Zion does play, like I also don't know about the fit there either. That seems like a weird pairing. Because yeah. Valanciunas can, you know, pick and pop a little bit. Obviously, he seems willing to shoot the three, but, um, you know, he also seems like a guy that might kind of clog it up for, for Zion a little bit, and you definitely don't want anybody down there getting in his Zion way. does a lot of clogging to begin with. Well, yeah, no comment there, but <laughs> the reason he didn't play. The, uh, the only other thing I had from this game is I just – Doc is killing me with this first unit, second unit stuff, man. Like, yeah. I just – my – I know we've said this or some variation of this before. It's just like if if someone is out, you know, or injured and you don't have the practice of rotating guys in and out, I just think, you know, for when there's injuries or let's say we even go to playoffs with the eight-man rotation, I just feel like there can be chemistry issues because, you know, players X, Y, and Z – have almost never played with players A, B, and C because of these lineup changes. And the the thing I always go back to is, uh, especially early last season, Tobias Harris always seemed to be at his best when, uh, as they were taking the starters out of the game, he kind of led the second unit, and he was just the guy that kind of took over. Um, and it's just, I, I mean, Tobias had a nice uh, stat line tonight, but I just feel like, you know, sometimes the game goes on and he just almost seems unnoticeable. I'm not saying he's playing bad, but on his contributions just don't always show. And I just felt like him being in that role, he, he really you know thrived in that well. So. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to get into Tobias because I just get so frustrated watching people trash him when he has 20 and 12. And I'm, I know you're not doing oh, that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you're right. Like, when you're just watching the game, like, in the flow of it, like, it never seems like he has, like, a long enough stretch of dominance that you're like, oh, yeah, like, there you go, Tobias. Like, it's such a quiet 20 and 12. It's crazy yeah. that you can do that. And there's so many other guys in the league that, you know, roll out of betting at 20 and 10 that are praised <laughs> for it. And Tobias is getting slandered for for doing it here, but yep. you're right. We talked about that a ton last season. A, a bunch of people did, you know, not exclusive to us about you know giving him a chance to to be in a unit where he is the focal point. Because obviously, when he's out there with Embiid, uh, Niang had a great quote the other day. They were like, "Hey, like, what's what's your role on this team? Like, on the I don't know if it's just in general on the offensive end." And he's like, "Make sure that my guy doesn't get in Joel's way." Like. That's everybody on this team's job. Yeah. Ultimately, at at the at the, the simplest way to put how this team runs is, everybody's job is to make sure that Joel Embiid is successful. Yeah, that that's this team's way to win based on how they're built right now. But the next one is to do that for Tobias Harris, and only having him out there with Embiid never really lets you process that second, you know, method so to speak. So, right. Um, I think there's something to that. I think, obviously, the way Doc looks at it, it's a regular season, and you're going to play all these guys. And I, I think the way it seems like they practice and stuff, too, because they seem to keep you know the same kind of two units, it seems like they basically run that starting five against like the, the bench lineup. 
like consistently is I think he just really believes in, in the chemistry of each and especially regular season thinks he can get away with it. Um, it, it worked tonight, I guess, but there's obviously gonna be times where we're going to harp on it. And we're going to get annoyed with it. I do wish he was a little bit more, you know, flexible with it, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with the nets on Friday. If maybe, you know, it forces them to keep a guy to buy us out there more because for, I don't expect for much of that game, if any, for both Durant and Harden to be off the floor. So yeah, it's going to be hard to imagine that you're going to be able to go to this bench unit for long stretches of time with one of those guys cooking you on the other end, most likely. Uh, especially, like, the thing I didn't like is I don't think that bench unit can defend anybody. No. That's what's really scary for me. And Tobias obviously isn't really the answer for that. Having Matisse out there should help uh, tonight. I thought he was fine. The problem is... You know, he wasn't really I, – I didn't really see him on Ingram much um, when he was out there. Uh, the other thing is I thought Drummond played well defensively, but his offensive decision-making is just – Yeah, we were uh, dying and, at – was it the end of the first quarter? <laughs> we had like a breakaway. Yeah, and then and just – Fast break. Trying to do some Harlem Globetrotter shit. And listen, yeah. I, I was ready for it. You knew that stuff was going to come. But he did have 17 rebounds. It was a plus 22. I think so. It was, I think the way we have to approach it is okay, when we had Dwight Howard, we had to accept, all right, he's going to commit a flavor foul or technical foul. Like, that's <laughs> just something we're going to have to live with. And I think with Drummond, we're just going to have to live with one, like, Four horrible turnover. Yeah, like, that's just, you know, you, you take the, the bad with the good, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I will say I thought he was, he was better defensively uh, than I expected him to be, and I, I I don't know. Um, with guys like that, it's always weird. We we had the same. I mean, I was really happy about Dwight, and I was I was really happy about Drummond, for the record. But I think with guys like that, when they're they're veterans who have been successful, and they're coming to be a backup, I think you always have to worry about you know if they're going to become disgruntled or anything. And especially, I think both Dwight and Drummond are kind of head cases, but. Drummond seems pretty happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, from everything I've seen, him and Embiid actually seem that to, to be pretty friendly, uh, despite all the shit talking and, <laughs> and, and trash talking throughout their careers. But now that they're together, you don't have to worry about that. So, um, you know, it, it seems like a good thing. Hey, he got 19 minutes tonight, so there's no shortage of him getting opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, before turnovers is a lot for your backup center. Yeah. It's a lot, but uh, whatever. They get out of this one. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ben Simmons thing. It's it, it's all we've got. We haven't really talked about it too much as we, uh, you know, have just been so fucking pissed off that we haven't even been doing the pod because this team makes us fucking miserable. But now they're playing meaningful games, so we're back. We'll talk about it after this message from DraftKings. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest, and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. That's promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 
Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So moving on to Ben Simmons. Obviously, he was suspended for tonight's game. He had shown up and had been with the team for a few days. We saw videos of him you know, doing certain I guess, exercises or going through some drills, stuff like that. And then apparently on, I think it was Tuesday. Was it Monday or Tuesday? He, uh, it was Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. He, yeah. he showed up and apparently, I I think the story is that Doc basically told him to like, you know, enter into a drill or, or start doing something and Simmons declined or refused. And then Rivers just told him to go home. Uh Every quote I have from this is from Kyle Newbeck of Philly Voice, so um, I'm sure people who listen to this follow Kyle, but make sure that you follow him, but I'm not going to say it for everything. Just know that every quote from here on out is is, is from Kyle Newbeck, so appreciate you, Kyle. Uh, but the direct quote Doc said is that he said, you should ju- you should leave, Ben, and, and they went on with practice. So, um, you know, Ben was getting fined a lot of money, which apparently was a whole confusion thing with, with Clutch and Rich Paul, which has just been <laughs> hilarious because yeah. they're handling this so fucking poorly and apparently didn't know that he wouldn't be able to recoup the money. Uh, he has already placed his like loft. Uh, he's either stopped renting it or put that up for sale. He has a house in Morristown that he listed for sale. He bought a new house out in L.A. or somewhere in California, I think this off season. Uh, like a really expensive one is my understanding. And I think I saw like he's already the most fined player in NBA history. Yeah, like, he, he just passed. I think it was Vladimir Radmanovic. Oh, I was I would talk guessed, about a name drop. I would have guessed Rodman, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he, you know, these guys have so much money, but, you know, it's still a lot because they live expensive lifestyles. It's not easy to lose yeah. a couple hundred thousand dollars for nothing. And he's going to keep getting fined. And not getting paid. There's there's a difference there. Like, being fined is not not getting paid. Yeah. So, that's both. So, now you're exponentially losing money because you're not making your income and you're being charged on top of it. So, it's a lot. Uh, obviously, so far, before that, everyone on the team had been trying to say the right thing, talking about welcoming back, talking about not caring, talking about saying that he could help them win. And then Embiid came out and listen, we all love him. He keeps it real. And that's why we love him because he doesn't bullshit us. And Embiid said, quote, at this point, I don't care about that man. He does whatever he wants. That's not my job. That's their job. I'm only focused on trying to make the team better, win some games, play hard every night, try to lead the guys we have here. And I'm sure they feel the same way. Our chemistry has been happening the last few months. So like I said, I don't really care. I don't care. That's his problem. I'm only focused on what we've been doing. As a team, we're going to be fine. So he says the right thing, but again, kind of goes after Ben, which has been part of all this drama because people have tried to spin that he and Doc kind of threw Ben under the bus after Game 7, which... I agree to an extent that Doc did. I don't really agree that MB did. Maybe I'm biased, but also he clearly fucking deserved it. So I don't really get what anybody's mad about anyway. But 
Steve, you know, tell me your your thoughts on the whole thing based on where we stand right now. And I guess at this point, we need predictions on, you know, this game is over. He's not suspended anymore. Yeah. They have a home opener Friday night against Brooklyn that me and you will be in the building for. Do you think he's there? Do you think that he plays? What do you think happens at this point? Oh, the, well, first of all, let me first address. There's no way they're going to play him, you know, and introduce him at the home opener to booze because well, that I don't know if that happens. I mean, okay, they could start him off on the bench maybe. No way. So but. so here's what I'll say. Let's <laughs> do you think that do you think that they won't do that or you do you think that he won't do that? I, I That's mean, the real question. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately they're not going to let him do that because wow. I disagree. I, 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 I think there's a dangerous precedent that's being set here and the symptom of a much larger issue where I think Simmons is just going to show up again. Uh, I'm assuming they're practicing tomorrow and he just is going to show up maybe again and I just can't be a dickhead. They're going to practice tomorrow because they're going to travel yeah, back to New Orleans. Yeah, they might not. So, but I mean, if he isn't really practicing with the team, I I imagine he's just not playing. Maybe he isn't suspended, or maybe he'll be considered a healthy scratch or whatever. But I just, there's no way he's in that building Friday night, right? I don't know. I mean, I I I don't think he'll be there. Yeah, you're you're right. I don't think he'll be there, but. I feel like if I'm this, because here's the thing, he showed like he's trying to be there just to get his money. So if you're yeah. the Sixers, don't you have to be like, hey, like we're listing you as active because you're not injured, you're no longer suspended, we expect you to be there, and you're in the lineup. Then at that point, how does he respond? So my thought is that there's no way that they're just going to be like, hey, you can stay home because they haven't done that yet. They've required him to be there, and they've been fining him because he has voluntarily not shown up. Mm-hmm. So now the suspension's over. Unless you're going to suspend him again, then you have to. He's he's on the roster right now. He's he's an active player on this roster. So my thought is, you tell him, hey, you need to show up Friday. You're in the starting lineup. You got to run out there. You got to do the whole thing, and see what he does. Because I'm telling you, man, based on everything he's doing now. There is no chance he has the guts to show up and actually do it at this point. Yeah. So I would leave it up to him to say, no, I'm not doing that. Because then their next thing is, fine, you don't get paid. And, like, now you're, like, voluntarily breaching your contract, which, like, was one thing to not show up to training camp. People have done it before. There's yeah. no real there, – there's, there's, there is a precedent for Absolutely. that. Precedent for that. There is no precedent really for a guy just straight up not showing up to a game where he would be the starter on a team that has title aspirations. Like even Harden last year waiting to get traded was just like phoning it in. Yeah. He showed up. He went out on the court and played basketball. Yeah. He did not uh, arrive in shape at all. No. uh, No. He. Yeah. I just. So like this is crazy. And and I've already come out and said like. even when I thought he was going to show up and actually like kind of try, I was already dead set on booing him on Friday if he actually was there. Absolutely. Now I'm with you. I don't think he's there. But if he's somehow in that building, I'm going to be absolutely fucking unbearable, which I already am and <laughs> would have been anyway. But, God, I I feel bad for our section on Friday. 
Yeah, dude. I I don't know what to make of this because, I mean, people listen just know that like we've been the longest Ben Simmons defenders. Like I I do. I take mean, this- at, at least as long as anybody else who has yes, been. Yes. You know, again, and- we we tend not to try to be the. The, the people that say right. oh, we were the we were the ones who did this the most or did it for like whatever and when, other than Furcon there's not really much here for us but yeah and in that game always been on his side yeah and that game seven when he you know passed up that shot like that's when we were all like us and everyone else like the last of the, the you know not the, uh, dude we weren't we were not <sighs> out then we we were critical. Yeah, we were critical. That's fair. We were critical. We but. definitely, you know, let down our defenses of him at that point, and clearly we were blaming him. But at that point, I I wasn't like, okay, like you can never play for us again. I was open to the idea of trading him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like, okay, they have to run it back. But I was like, you know, once you realize that his value wasn't much, I think we were both like, all right, well, like. You know, you got to run it back at least to, like, get his value somewhere and then explore the market. It wasn't until he started saying things that were kind of like, yeah, like, I can't play there anymore. I don't want to be there that we were like, all right, fine. Fuck you. Like, yeah, you want you want that. Then we're done. We're not going to defend you in spite of you. That's where we drew the line. Yeah, uh, we we were definitely not not out after that. I, I don't I don't agree with that. We were frustrated. And we were vocal about it, and we were definitely blaming him. I will admit that. Yeah. But we we were not saying, you know, you've played your last game here no matter what. Absolutely not. Well. He did that. Yeah, and it's just been, because like you said earlier too, so going back to how funny, how incredibly mismanaged, you know, Rich Paul and Clutch had been, like, just every single step of the way. Unbelievable. Like, they, they're just not doing right by their client, I don't think. No, I, not I at mean, all. just, you know, with the timing of the trade request, and then they told them to not play for the Olympics, which I I don't think anyone really thinks or cares about. But no, I don't. I mean, whatever. No one does. But, like, after a horrific fucking playoff series like that, to just – go out on a stage like that and just go out and ball the fuck out. Like that's something that could have, you know, helped his trade value if he really wanted to get out of here. And just the timing of him coming, you know, coming back to the Monday night of a preseason game, just as a game, like just every single, like I'm, I feel like almost anyone else would probably fired their agent for just with how poorly mismanaged. And and that was the thing that was, that was everybody's thing was like, listen, if there's one thing he can do to try and get in the good graces of some people, there would be plenty of people who would not have cared even if he had done it. But if he would have came back and fired clutch, which he definitely had grounds to do so, it wouldn't have just been some like, Oh yeah. You know, puff piece move. There's definitely a legitimate reason to do so. They have mismanaged this to to an unbelievable extent, and it's just further proof that if not for the fact that it's basically LeBron James' agency, yeah, it, it wouldn't be anything because it's a fucking joke. Yeah. And once he's... The sad thing is that once he retires and he's not even, like, really a, a client of it anymore... It's only going to become stronger because he's basically going to become like the guy. Like it's going to be like yeah. it's going to be like the Rock and Ballers. <laughs> like he's just going to be that fucking guy where like you're just going there to 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 say you're with him, and he's going to become so insanely powerful. Yeah, and I just 
we've kind of seen signs of this too. I feel like in the past, it's just Ben Simmons is he's just one of these players who it almost seems like it wouldn't surprise me if years later when we find out what really has happened or, you know, maybe things that didn't get put out there that just, he, he didn't allow himself to make any decisions. And this was the result of his camp, you know, his agent. And I'm sure there's other people, you know, him growing up in a basketball family. There's always that dynamic where I just feel like he's probably also being told what to do because he could have pulled a Jimmy Butler and not showed up and then, you know, randomly show up one day just to practice and to be a dickhead. He could have pulled a Harden by not staying in shape and, you know, and and just, you know, mailing it in and being lazy. But, like, he's just kind of in this weird, he's like, okay, I'm, like, here and I'm ready to play, but I'm only going to participate in select practices. Like, it's just, like, there's no precedent for that. And it's just, it, it just doesn't make sense. And it just seems like every single thing he's doing, you know, he thinks they think they're taking leverage away from the Sixers when the Sixers just, I think what ultimately is going to happen is they're not going to rush to make a deal. It, it This is probably going to happen for another month or two. And they're going to wait until, you know, once teams who are interested in trading for him, when they realize, okay, we need to shake things up, we need a trade, or maybe this is time we move for Simmons and maybe teams start bidding against each other, I, I think that's when he's gone. But I just – it's just – a lot of this just doesn't make sense, dude. Like, just doesn't. Dude, you know what's crazy? This is really the, the – well, I have two things, but this is the last meaningful thing that I really have on this, <laughs> and, I'll, and then I'll give you the floor if you have anything else, but – Dude, there was a uh, there's something I saw today that was a, a a scouting report on him from his from his only year at LSU. This is from Jonathan Gavoni of uh, Draft Express and ESPN, who who's been doing drafts for a long time and, and it's really good. Like I rec- I don't we're not college basketball guys. We don't really do draft stuff, but this is one of the few guys that I know I've like I've you know been reading from for a long time. Uh, so I've always known that he was good, but this is crazy spot on. And this was resurfacing over the last day or so. This was his synopsis in a March 2016 scouting report of Ben Simmons. Simmons' lack of competitiveness in crucial games has raised questions about his character. Those who know him best say he needs things to revolve around him on and off the court, and that he's often been closed-minded to coaching or instruction. Holy shit. Wow. How do you fucking nail that in 2016? Now, like... Granted, like, we knew a little bit of that going into it, and maybe we chose to be ignorant to it because we knew we were drafting him. Like, that, I definitely remember hearing, you know, reports of that, but oh, yeah. my God. Like, to think that it would come to fruition like this is is insanity. See, I feel like, and I this could be revisionist history on my part, just not remembering I mean, correctly. it all is to some degree. That's fine. Yeah, but I feel like I've heard that, and I'm like, okay, well, he played at LSU with a guy who he knew. I think that coach grew up playing basketball with his father. And I'm like, oh, well, he's coming to the Sixers, Brett Brown, who coached his dad. So I just assume, well, there's that familiarity where, you know, maybe he just either he's too comfortable with the people that are in charge and he has no problem, you know, rebelling or, you know, this is just all 
you know, white noise and, you know, he's, he's absolutely fine. And I did say when we hired doc, that would be interesting because, you know, doc comes in with a pedigree. He's won a title. He's coached so many different superstars. You know, it's going to be interesting. Is Ben Simmons going to respond to him? And I think with that report surfacing coupled with doc being the real first coach that he's ever had, who's just, coming with no prior experience with him or personal relationship. I mean, that, that speaks volumes. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else on Ben before I give you the, the last thing that I have? Cause you're not going to want to, you're not going to have anything after I read this to you. <laughs> no, I have nothing else about Ben Simmons. All right. Well, as always, the most important voice in the room is always the iron Sheik. Mm. And yesterday the iron Sheik said, Ben Simmons, you cut the hand that feed you. What the fuck? <laughs> So Iron I mean, Sheik just always has such baby. a way with words. Yeah. Gets right to the point. So, yeah, it, it's fucked. I I believe fully at this point that he will not play a game for this team. Um, I don't know how long this takes. I don't know what they get for him. We'll probably talk about that on future episodes, I'm sure. I'm not going to worry about it tonight because I'm happy that the Sixers won. I'm happy that they get a Nets team that, I'm continuing my warpath from last season and saying that the team is not any fucking good. Mm. Um, I don't care that you have two of the top five players in the league. They have nothing else, and they have no answer for Joel Embiid. So I'm very happy that he got a fairly easy night tonight so that he should be good to go Friday, and I expect a huge game from him because who's stopping him? Durant's the center. Durant or Blake Griffin, pick your fucking poison. I don't care. Yeah, Blake They're going to get hurt. They're going to get embarrassed by Joel Embiid. So I'm ready for it. I'm very excited. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we should be back far more regularly now that there's games to talk about because, you know, if, if you've been listening for a long time, you know, we really don't care about speculation or bullshit or whatever. It's not really us. And now that we have games to discuss, you know, we'll, we'll get back to it and everything. Uh, we'll obviously talk about the Ben Simmons thing as much as we need to, but I really just, I'm tired. Over it. Very over it. Uh, I'll be very happy to break down the trade once it happens, but whatever. Um, that's fine. So thanks, everybody, for Steve. I'm Dan. Again, follow us on everything at Process Potables. Uh, probably won't have an episode till next week since we're going to the game Friday. If anybody's at the game on Friday, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, or on whatever social media. Maybe we can meet up, have a beer, whatever. We'll be in the parking lot probably having a few before uh, and maybe even after as well. So roll through. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Trust the podcast.